So you all probably aren't as judgmental as I am. Because you're all good people. Not like me, who when I hear this story, I'm like, Noah, what are you doing? You're supposed to be that awesome dude with the big beard that's white, that built the big boat with the big old rainbow over it, and you're good. You did all that stuff. Why did you go do something that's so disgraceful? I mean, Noah, you're supposed to be better than that. That's what's in my mind when I hear this story. I look at this Noah guy who all children see laying down in their crib as it twirls around, right? We see this guy that saved the animals. I mean, he's like the modern-day awesome dude. And his story ends like this. There's a few things that we need to remember about Noah is that he was called by God to build a boat. Actually, what they would call an ark. And if you look, this was actually built to make us think about the ark turned upside down. So get a little image. It's a lot smaller than Noah's. Noah took 40 years to build his boat. And he did it in the face of opposition. People all around laughed at him because he said, a great flood is coming. I'm building a boat because the Lord told me to. And even as people scoffed and they laughed and they thought he was stupid for spending all his resources on something that would never happen, he kept building this boat. Forty years. After the flood came, after he gathered up the animals that the Lord told him to gather up, after he gathered up his family, they all got in the boat. For 40 days he waited for the rain to stop. Only with the promise of the Lord that he would be saved. Now we listen to these words and we often think, uh... It's a good story, but I would like us to just step a little bit deeper into the story so that we can try to understand Noah a little bit better. He worked 40 years on this boat. Now, he lived for a long time, 950 years. That's what is recorded. If we would say we live about 100 years, he worked about 5% of his life, so it would be about five years for us if we would live to 100. It doesn't seem like a lot, right? Five years. I often tell people you can do anything for two years. I have never said you can do anything for five years. But I think you could. I'm more positive now. But the thing about it is that 40 years in Noah's time was still 40 years. It might have only equated to 5% of his life, but for 40 years he did this. When I think about that, I have great admiration for teachers who teach for 40 years. 
Can you imagine that walking in that classroom and make a difference? 40 years. It's not the dirtiness. I know my wife cleaned up poop once. Came right out of the leg of the shoe, or right out of the pant leg. 40 years. I tell her she needs to work for 40 years because it'd be good for our retirement. Now, we don't look at that, though, and go, that's possible. But when God calls you into it, he says you can do it, even in the face of opposition. Noah is human, guys. He's just like any one of us who would have been called to do this. He accomplishes it. But I want us to step into the story because for 40 days he sat in that boat with his family and these animals and watched the rain flow or fall. He watched as the earth got sucked up in water. He watched as big expanses opened up and water flew out of those underneath and also from up above. He watched his neighbors get swept away. He watched women die. He watched children die. Always in the boat. If you can step into the story, you start to understand Noah a little bit better. Those 40 days of having rain come down was not only a time of waiting for the rain to stop, it was a time of mourning. It does not matter how wicked the world gets. You know this. There are people that are wicked that you still care about. And you don't want to see death come. I mean, we have a picture of this. We experienced Harvey, right? We saw people lose almost everything. In fact, I know a family that I was close to who had over eight feet of water in their house. They'd only bought the house a year ago. Almost everything was destroyed. And they're just now getting back in. I can only imagine that Noah and his family, as they watched the world be upended, that even after the rain stopped and they had to wait another period of time for the rain to recede, that what they saw was nothing that they'd seen before. They saw a lot of death and destruction. We know that from after a flood. There's a lot of brown and dead stuff. So they may have seen a few patches after they walked out of the ark of new life. But they would have seen a whole lot of dead. No familiar markers. The big old oak tree that would tell you where you were would be gone. No familiar paths, no street that they could go back to and go, oh, do you remember the street? Everything washed away. We can't even imagine it. 
Because even after Harvey, we still saw some landmarks, right? I used to look a little different. But we could still go to our streets and go, oh, there's that street. Oh, there, yeah. Oh, look at that. It survived. For no one is family, nothing. Everything would be new. And they walked out into this life, stepping out, not knowing where they were in the world or where to begin. So Noah goes back to work. According to the story, he decides to plant a vineyard. And after he starts to do this, in fact, in verse 20, it just, it, it, um, this shows, this verse actually shows many years in just one verse. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. If you can imagine Noah coming out, finding a spot for his family, beginning to plant this vineyard, if you know anything about grapes, which I didn't, so I had to look this up, it takes at least three to five years for them to produce. Three to five years afterwards, he's beginning the work of redeveloping this world that had been destroyed. I would say that Noah had experienced a lot of traumatic events. Would you agree? A little bit of trauma. I mean, sometimes we think about PTSD. I think he probably had a little bit of that. He plants this vineyard, and then he decides, according to the story, to make some wine. Now, jump into his foot. We just went through this whole thing that he saw. He's planted a vineyard. There's new life. I mean, I love gardening as well. I love to plant things, see them grow. He's made this vineyard. He harvests enough grapes to make wine. He probably didn't let it age wasn't going to be a hundred-year wine, I don't think. I mean, you know, because we don't really have a counting of years here. It was probably more like Boone's Farm kind of wine. But he made wine. It had been at least, at least three to five years since he had drank any kind of wine. And he drank his glass. Probably didn't have glass. He drank some wine. And it tasted good. And what does alcohol do? It numbs you, right? And all of a sudden, all this stuff that was surrounding him, he got numbed. So he drank some. Anybody been like that? You don't want to admit it because you're in church. Drink a little more. You drink a little more. You drank a little more. You kept drinking. And then all of a sudden... He collapses in his own little place. Now, the word in Hebrew is gala. And what that means is that it was not a pretty collapse. It wasn't like he was in his bed with his pillow. It was like, <laughs> and probably in, it was a disgraceful collapse. Now, 
I know all you good people have never had a disgraceful collapse. But it's not one that you necessarily want a bunch of people to see. The first lesson that we learn from this is that after a great victory, failure often follows. I don't know how many of you have experienced that you struggle and you work hard and then all of a sudden you accomplish what you want and then things fall apart. Well, you're not alone. Noah is in this category. Moses, also in this category. He led his people for a long time, almost 40 years. Leading them, doing a good job, and then out of anger, he doesn't get to see the promised land. David, probably around in his 50s, sins with Bathsheba simply because now his window. I mean, this is a story, and he sees Bathsheba and goes, mm-hmm, I want some of that. That's how it goes, right? He's in his 50s. Remember the story, David? David is beloved by the Lord, and he loves the Lord. But he's king. They've got everything under control, and he wants that. Solomon, he also messes up. He departs from the will of God late in his life. After a great victory, victory, failure often follows. Dr. Joe Aldrich said the enemy will wait 40 years, if necessary, to set a trap for you. I mean, I think we forget that, right? Satan is a prowling lion that wants to devour you. And if he can find a way to do it, he will. When we let our guards down, before we know it, we're drunk, collapse, and laying in our own vomit. We fail. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. I mean, I'll look at the disciples after the death of Jesus. He appears to them. And they don't believe. He's told them, I'm going to die and rise again. He does it to them. Hello! I've been raised from the dead. And they go, well, we don't think so. Great victory. Epic fail. I need to remember that in these times that I see someone have a great victory. And then they fail that I don't get to sit in the seat of judgment and not give them a break. Because when I look at this story, Noah, I say, give Noah a break. 
give him a break. The dude worked for 40 years, went through the worst storm in ever, survived, built a and forgot not to drink so much. I mean, he knew what would happen. I mean, we know, we all know, we, we can say that we don't know what happens. Like, well, I didn't realize that five drinks would be too much. For Sarah, don't take her anywhere. Lefevers, <laughs> you guys remember, right? Take her up to high elevation, she can't even drink this much of a beer. Whoa, she's out. But no one knew. He knew. He was a wise, he knew exactly what was happening, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't give him a break. How many times do we mess up intentionally? Man, do I wish someone would give me a break. Jesus did. Absolutely gave him a break. Without question. Because this story ends here with Noah disgracefully in his own vomit. But in Hebrews, the writer inspired by the word of God, by God himself, says, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. He was made right, regardless of anything that he had done. Notice, the righteousness didn't come because he built the boat. The righteousness came because of his faith. He's a sinner. He knew exactly what would happen, failed. But Jesus said, I'm going to give Noah a break. I'm going to forgive him. Nothing else was needed. Which leads us to the second lesson in this story. You guys have probably never heard this story preached about, huh? How many of you have heard this story preached? Ooh, Dolores, I'm going to have you come up here and join me. The second lesson that I got from this story was live with eyes of grace instead of judgment. Give a person a break. Jesus does it. Verse 22, Ham, this is the second son, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Now, I've read this story so many times. And before, I'd always, Noah's kind of grouchy. He must have had a bad hangover because he cursed his son because he saw him all disgraceful. And that is the intention when you read it in the English mini versions because English doesn't quite have the Hebrew text. If you go to the Hebrew, the story changes just a little bit and gives a fuller expression of what Ham was really doing. See, the thing about Ham is that when he looks, it's not just simply father or he glanced. 
It actually is, he gazed with satisfaction. Now that's a different story, right? It's different than you running in to say, good morning, Dad. And you go, whoa. <laughs> Not going to look at that. I mean, who wants to? No, this was, good morning, Dad. What happens with families? Our kids have gotten us started to watch Survivor Ghost Island after a long hiatus from watching this program. We used to watch Sur Survivor all the time, but now our kids want to watch it with us, so we did it all as a family. And it's awesome because this later as a family. Like if Survivor still is going, when all of us can participate, they want to go do this. Now, they always think that it's going to be awesome until we would get there and the comforts that we all enjoy are not there. Electronics. No snacks every 30 minutes. All you get to eat is rice and other things. And competition where one of us probably wouldn't do as well as we should have, and we would lose, and guess how we would blame one another? Because that's what families end up doing. Because relationships sometimes get tenuous, and we start pointing fingers, especially when we're under stress. I can only imagine that Pam, maybe, was under a little stress after they left the ark. And maybe because it was only his wife and their children and his father and mother that they got to talk to day after day, day after day after day. Just imagine, like, ten people. That's all you saw day after day. Ten people, same ten people. Day after day, same issues, day after day, after day. I'm For years, he was upset with his father. The verb used for told is also different than what we would just take told, like, gotcha, Dad, and comes back and go, hey, guys, all messed up. No, it's not like that. It's boldly announced with delight. Do you see a shift in the story? He ran to his brothers and were like, you gotta see dad. That's up. I told you he was stupid for doing this. <coughs> or maybe he's mad because his dad made him work in the vineyard. Who knows what the deal was but he had some problem with Noah and he wanted to make sure that he brought because he was noticeably absent when the other two brothers Shem and Japheth walk in like this with a cloak with a blanket to cover their dad and they don't say a word of it to him. because guess what decided 
to give their dad a break. But Ham couldn't. He couldn't see that giving his dad a break was worth it. He couldn't see that loving his dad would bring about be beneficial. Proverbs 17.9 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Good word for us today, right? Do you agree? Say amen. Uh, love when a fault is forgiven. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. I, I like that better. That means that we actually would not be like Ham, and instead we'd be more like Shem and Japheth. He said, yeah, Dad messed up. We need to help. I'm not going to push his face into it. We're going to love him. If we're honest, which, let's admit it, it's really hard to be truthful, isn't it? I mean, even when you think you're being truthful, you're like justifications and things that you're trying to, or the way you want people to perceive it, so you kind of ever massage the truth. Any of you do that? Oh, it's just me. I am the one who just is a big liar. But the truth is, we like to gloat. I mean, America's Funniest Videos? How often do you laugh when someone smacks their head into something? Right? See, we're laughing right now. I do. I could get you Ashley on that. Because <laughs> we like it. It's a mis But you know what? Sometimes that's just being klutzy. But there are other things that we like to gloat in. Like, what about a coworker who you think doesn't deserve a promotion and they make a mistake? Ever? Or what about someone that you said, you should never get married and they get divorced? Or what if someone is wildly spending their money and they lose it all? We like to blow. I mean, I'm, I'll just, well, maybe I'll just change it. Instead of the we, I'll just use I because you guys aren't participating. I like to gloat, even when I say, I shouldn't do that. Especially if it's an enemy. Cold-hearted that, that friend, that if a misfortune comes, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. But when it's an enemy, I go, yeah, well, it all comes around. <laughs> Right? I mean, those thoughts come in your head. But I don't want to be that way. We like to spread the news of a wrecked marriage of someone who we don't like. We like to spread the news of someone who sees misfortune that we can't get along with. Instead of prospering a relationship, we often like to cause more division. So don't forget, love prospers when a fault is forgiven. Because Satan loses when forgiven. 
you get that? Satan loses when forgiveness is present. How many times do you hold back forgiveness or hold back giving a break? If you think that Satan isn't going, awesome, gotcha, you're absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. How often are you Ham who runs in and goes, ah, oh, I caught him. Just as much as Satan is going, I got Noah drunk. He didn't actually get him drunk, but Noah got drunk. He's not so righteous. Maybe I can mess with him there. He's also going, yay, I got him to announce that Noah got drunk to the world. I mean, there are only 10 people, but they, he still did it. Because it causes division and it also delays forgiveness. I mean, that's a whole reason why Jesus came and died and rose again was forgiveness. The whole reason why Jesus came is because he actually did believe forgiven. That's why he forgave all our faults. So that love would prosper. So when I look at this story, I think there's some great lessons for us to learn about being examples of his son. Paul would write to the church in Galatia, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Don't look upon their fault with glee. Don't run and go announce it boldly with delight. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. Well, maybe one of them. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we're each responsible for our own conduct. So now what are we going to do? We just heard the story about, really, the fall of Noah. We just saw the sun delight in it. So what are we going to do about it? The Spirit of the Lord has called us today to be like Shem and Japheth. He's called us to be encouragers, not discouragers. Think about the things that are coming up this week. And you have a choice. You can discourage or you can encourage. Will you be the encourager this week? Are you going to be the encourager? Say amen. amen. What? Love prospers when a fault is forgiven. So what do we do if we're encouragers and one of us who said amen to that and then we see them discourage? Do we go, oh, I saw Bill discourage this person. 
No. We pull Bill aside and go, let's be encouragers. And you probably encourage him, even though he brought discouragement to someone else. We're called to give people a break. How many marriages would be, I'll use the word, happier if we give each other a break? And we'd remember that love I hope you remember it. That's why I've said it like a lot of times. So you may not remember anything else, but if I say this at least 20 times, you might walk out. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven. It seems pretty simple. It's very hard to do, but it's very simple to remember. Be humble in all things. You're not the most important person in the world. Did you all get that? So exercises, take a post-it, Put it on your mirror and say, you're not the most important person in the world. You look at that. Now, if you have, if you already look at yourself and you see a lot of shame, maybe that's not a great exercise. And maybe you just need to say, Jesus is the most important person in the world. I'll depend on Jesus alone. Because I'm never going to be good enough. But he is. We're called to be careful, knowing that sin is creeping at every opportunity. We have a full power that is against us. No person in this church is immune. No marriage is strong enough. No faith is strong enough to not potentially fall. I know that's hard. I mean, we want to, right? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I want to, at some point, get to this point of life where But that's a false expectation unless Jesus is standing in front of me. Where I meet him face to face, either after I die or when he comes again. Because looking, he is waiting. Because Satan has grit. He will wait 40 years as that professor said, to ensnare you. Jesus forgave us, forgives us, and continues to forgive us. Because, why? Love prospers when... Oh, wait, you guys don't remember this. Love prospers. I really don't care if you remember anything else. Honestly. I mean, I don't even know how long I've been up here. Maybe 30 minutes? 35 minutes? 35 minutes, and you get, what is it? 
change the world. I don't know how you can get any bigger than that. But when our fault was forgiven, it changed the world. It changed everything, even more so than the flood. Because from the day that Jesus rose from the dead was the day that we have eternal life. And yes, we won't live 950 years. We'll live forever in righteousness, been made righteous by faith. And God gives us a break because he loves us as his family. Peter says this, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most love for each other. So, just FYI, when you tell someone that you love them, please don't go, I love you. <laughs> love prospers when a fault is forgiven. Love prospers. Man, he's given us power, the Lord. Amen? Amen? In those relationships that seem dead, forgive. In those relationships you have problems, forgive. In those times when you think you're a job place, you will never be raised up, forgive. In your marriages that seem to be on the wrong course, forgive. In your schools with the kids that are bullies, forgive. Where race has divided us, forgive. In this town, in this church where we get jealous, forgive. And do not delay, because love is given. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've brought us here today. We are thankful that we have a place that we can come to. We can hear your word anywhere. But I give you thanks, Lord. I thank you that you bring new people into our family. You bring people who have walked away from the family back. And Lord, you continue to allow us to celebrate with each other as a family. We thank you for the kids, that they continue, that they learn what it looks like to follow Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you did give us, that every day you say is a new day because your mercies are new, that you give us love because you loved us first. To trust you. So that when we fall, we know and we believe that you'll give us a break. So that when we see others fall, we will give them a break too. And we only see a very, very small part of you. So wow us this week, Lord, with your power, your authority, your love in the lives that we come in contact this week. And may we see that love will prosper. Because we are trying to produce love, but simply because we forgive, 
that we forgive the faults that we see so that your love would prosper. And we do so because we know that you did it for us first. We pray our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Don't forget, love prospers when a fault is forgiven. <laughs>